Book Two, Chapter Five of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Five. A Raffle. It was late when Edgar returned to Cleves. Camilla flew to meet him. He told her everything relative to her petitioner was in the most prosperous train. He had seen the prisoner, heard the particulars of his story, which all tended to his exculpation, and Mrs. Arbury had contrived to make acquaintance with his counsel, whom she found perfectly well disposed to exert himself in the cause, and whom she had invited to a splendid supper. The trial was to take place the next morning. Camilla, already powerfully struck with Mrs. Albury, was enchanted to find her thus active in benevolence. Edgar was to dine with that lady the next day, and to learn the event of their joint exertions. This proved all that could be wished. The prosecution had been mild. The judge and jury had been touched with compassion and the venial offender had been released with a gentle reprimand. Mandelbert returned to communicate these tidings to Camilla, with a pleasure exactly in unison with her own. Mrs. Albury, he avowed, had been as zealous as himself, and had manifested a charity of disposition which the flightness of her manners had not let him to expect. The next object of attention was the raffle, which was to take place the following morning. Sir Hugh was averse to letting his nieces go abroad again so soon, but Miss Margland, extremely anxious about her own chance for the prize, solemnly asserted its necessity, inveighed against the mismanagement of everything at Cleves, stifled all her complaints of Lionel, and pronounced a positive decision that, to carry Indiana to public places, was the sole method of promoting the match. Sir Hugh then, willing to believe, and yet more willing to get rid of disputing with her, no longer withheld his consent. They were advanced within half a mile of Northwick, when a sick man, painfully supported by a woman with a child in her arms, caught their eyes. The ready hand of Eugenia was immediately in her pocket. Camilla, looking more intently upon the group, perceived another child, and presently recognized the wife of the prisoner. She called to the coachman to stop, and Edgar at the same moment rode up to the carriage. Miss Margland angrily ordered the man to drive on, saying she was quite sick of being thus forever infested with beggars, who really came so often they were no better than pickpockets. "'Oh, don't refuse to let me speak to them,' cried Camilla. It will be such a pleasure to see their joy. Oh, yes, they look in much joy indeed. They seem as if they had not eaten a morsel these three weeks. Drive on, I say, coachman. I like no such melancholy sights for my part. They always make me ill. I wonder how anybody can bear them. But we may help them. We may assist them, said Camilla, with increasing earnestness and pray when they have got all our money who is to help us eugenia delighted to give but unhabituated to any other exertion flung half a crown to them and indiana begging to look out said dear i never saw a prisoner before 
Encouraged by an expressive look from Camilla, Edgar dismounted to hand her from the carriage, affecting not to hear the remonstrances of Miss Margland, though she scrupled not to deliver them very audibly. Eugenia languished to join them, but could not venture to disobey a direct command, and Indiana, observing the road to be very dusty, submitted to save a pair of beautiful new shoes. Camilla had all the gratification she promised herself in witnessing the happiness of the poor petitioner. He was crawling to Cleves with his family to offer thanks. They were penniless, sick, and wretched, yet the preservation of the poor man seemed to make misery light to them all. Edgar desired to know what were their designs for the future. The man answered that he should not dare go back to his own country, because there his disgrace was known and he should procure no work, nor indeed was he now able to do any. So we must make up our minds to beg from door to door, and in the streets and on the high road, he continued, till I get back a little strength and can earn a living more creditably. But as long as we have kept you alive and saved you from being transported, said his wife, for which all thanks be due to this good gentleman, we shall mind no hardships and never go astray again in wicked unthinkingness of this great mercy edgar inquired what had been their former occupations they answered they had both been day workers in the field till a fit of sickness had hindered the poor man from getting his livelihood penury and hunger then pressing hard upon them all he had been tempted to commit the offence for which he was taken and brought to death's door but as now he added i have been saved i shall make it a warning for the time to come and never give myself up to so bad a course again edgar asked the woman what money she had left ah sir none for we had things to pay and people to satisfy and so everything you and the good ladies gave us is all gone for while anything was left us they would not be easy but this is no great mischief now as my husband is not taken away from us and is come to a right sense i believe said edgar you are very good sort of people however distress has misguided you he then put something into the man's hand and eugenia who from the carriage window heard what passed flung him another half-crown camilla added a shilling and turning suddenly away walked a few paces from them all edgar gently following inquired if anything was the matter her eyes were full of tears i was thinking she cried what my dear father would have said had he seen me giving half a guinea for a toy and a shilling to such poor starving people as these why what would he have said cried edgar charmed with her penitence though joining in the apprehended censor he would more than ever have pitied those who want money in seeing it so squandered by one who should better have remembered his lessons oh if i could but recover that half guinea will you give me leave to get it back for you leave you would lay me under the greatest obligation how far half a guinea would go here in poverty such as this he assured her he could regain it without difficulty and then telling the poor people to postpone their walk to cleves till the evening when camilla meant to prepare her uncle also to assist them he handed her to the coach with feelings yet more pleased than her own 
and galloped forward to execute his commission he was ready at the door of the library to receive them as they alighted camilla eagerly cried well have you succeeded can you trust yourself to this spot and to a review of the allurement answered he smiling and holding half a guinea between his fingers yet be content to see your chance for the prize withdrawn oh give it me give it me cried she almost seizing it from him my dear father will be so glad to hear i have not spent it so foolishly the rafflers were not yet assembled no one was in the shop but a well-dressed elegant young man who was reading at a table and who neither raised his eyes at their entrance nor suffered their discourse to interrupt his attention yet though abstracted from outward objects his studiousness was not of a solemn cast he seemed wrapped in what he was reading with a pleasure amounting to ecstasy he started acted smiled and looked pensive in turn while his features were thrown into a thousand different expressions and his person was almost writhed with perpetually varying gestures from time to time his rapture broke forth into loud exclamations of exquisite exquisite while he beat the leaves of the book violently with his hands in token of applause or lifting them up to his lips almost devoured with kisses the passages that charmed him sometimes he read a few words aloud calling out heavenly and vehemently stamping his approbation with his feet then suddenly shutting up the book folded his arms and casting his eyes towards the ceiling uttered oh too much too much there's no standing it yet again the next minute opened it and resumed the lecture the youthful group was much diverted with this unintended exhibition to eugenia alone it did not appear ridiculous she simply envied his transports and only wished to discover by what book they were excited edgar and camilla amused themselves with conjecturing various authors indiana and miss margland required no such aid to pass their time while with at least equal delight they contemplated the hoped-for prize lionel now bounced in why what cried he are you all doing in this musty old shop when mrs albury and all the world are enjoying the air on the public walks camilla was instantly for joining that lady but eugenia felt an unconquerable curiosity to learn the running title of the book she stole softly round to look over the shoulder of the reader and her respect for his raptures increased when she saw they were raised by thompson's seasons neither this approach nor the loud call of lionel had interrupted the attention of the young student who perceived and regarded nothing but what he was about and though occasionally he ceased reading to indulge in passionate ejaculations he seemed to hold everything else beneath his consideration lionel drawn to observe him from the circuit made by eugenia exclaimed what melmond why how long have you been in hampshire the youth surprised from his absence of mind by the sound of his own name looked up and said who's that why when the deuce did you come into this part of the world cried lionel approaching him to shake hands oh for pity's sake answered he with energy don't interrupt me why not have not you enough of that dry work at oxford come come have done with this boyish stuff and behave like a man 
you distract me answered melmont motioning him away i am in a scene that entrances me to elysium i have never read it since i could appreciate it what old thompson said lionel peeping over him why i never read him at all come man giving him a slap on the shoulder come along with me and i'll show you something more worth looking at you will drive me mad if you break in upon this episode tis a picture of all that is divine upon earth hear it only hear it he then began the truly elegant and feeling description that concludes thompson's spring and though lionel with a loud shout cried do you think i come thither for such fogram stuff as that and ran out of the shop the rapt enthusiast continued reading aloud too much delighted with the pathos of his own voice in expressing the sentiments of the poet to deny himself a regale so soothing to his ears eugenia enchanted stood on tiptoe to hear him her uplifted finger petitioning silence all around and her heart fondly repeating oh just such a youth be clerman just such is passion for reading just such is fervour for poetry just such is exaltation of delight in literary yet domestic felicity mandelbert also caught by the rehearsal of his favourite picture of a scheme of human happiness which no time no repetition can make vapid to a feeling heart stood pleased and attentive to hear him even indiana though she listened not to the matter was struck by the manner in which it was delivered which so resembled dramatic recitation that she thought herself at a play and full of wonder advanced straight before him to look full in his face and watch the motions of his right arm with which he acted incessantly while the left held his book miss margland concluded he was a strolling player and did not suffer him to draw her eyes from the locket but when at the words content retirement rural quiet friendship books ease and alternate labour useful life progressive virtue and approving heaven mandelbert turned softly round to read their impression on the countenance of camilla she was gone attracted by her wish to see more of mrs arbery she had run out of the shop after lionel before she either knew what was reading or was missed by those the reader had engaged edgar though disappointed wondered he should have stayed himself to listen to what had long been familiar to him and was quietly gliding away when he saw her returning he then went back to his post wondering with still less satisfaction how she could absent herself from hearing what so well was worth her studying the young man when he came to the concluding line to scenes where love and bliss immortal reign rose let fall the book clasped his hands with a theatrical air and was casting his eyes upwards in a fervent and willing trance when he perceived indiana standing immediately before him surprised and ashamed his sublimity suddenly forsook him his arms dropped and his hands were slipped into his waistcoat pockets but the very next moment the sensation of shame and of self was superseded by the fair object that had thus aroused him her beauty her youth her attitude of examination struck him at first with an amazement that presently gave place to an admiration as violent as it was sudden 
he started back bowed profoundly without any pretence of bowing at all and then revetting his eyes in which his whole soul seemed centred on her lovely face stood viewing her with a look of homage motionless yet enraptured indiana still conceiving this to be some sort of acting unabashed kept her post expecting every moment he would begin spouting something more but the enthusiasm of the young oxonian had changed his object the charms of poetry yielded to the superior charms of beauty and while he gazed on the fair indiana his fervent mind fancied her some being of celestial order wonderfully accorded to his view how or for what purpose he as little knew as cared the play of imagination in the romance of early youth is rarely interrupted with scruples of probability this scene of dumb transport and unfixed expectation was broken up neither by the admirer nor the admired but by the entrance of mrs arbery sir sedley clarendall lionel the officers and many of the rest of the company that had been present at the public breakfast nor would even this intrusion have disengaged the young oxonian from his devout and ecstatic adoration had it been equally indifferent to indiana but the appearance of a party of gay officers was not to her a matter of little moment eager for the notice in which she delighted she looked round in full confidence of receiving it the rapture of the oxonian as she had seen it kindled while he was reading she attributed to something she did not understand and took in it therefore no part but the adulation of the officers was by no means ambiguous and its acceptance was as obvious as its presentation willingly therefore as well as immediately encompassed she received a thousand compliments and in the gratification of hearing them completely forgot her late short surprise but the oxonian more forcibly struck ardently followed her with his eyes started back theatrically at every change of attitude which displayed her fine figure and at her smiles smiled again from the uncontrollable sympathy of a fascinated imagination miss margland felt no small pride in seeing her pupil thus distinguished since it marked the shrewdness of her capacity in foretelling the effect of bringing her forth anxious to share in a consequence to which she had industriously contributed she paradingly forced her way through the group and calling the attention of indiana to herself said i am glad you came away my dear for i am sure that man is only a poor strolling player dear let me look at him again cried indiana for i never saw a player before only at a play she then turned back to examine him enchanted to again meet her eyes the youth bowed with intense respect and advanced a few paces as if with intention to speak to her though immediately and with still more precipitance he retreated from being ready with nothing to say lionel going up to him and pulling him by the arm cried why man what's come to you these are worse heroics than i have seen you in yet the bright eyes of indiana being still fixed upon him he disdained all notice of lionel beyond a silent repulse indiana having now satisfied her curiosity restored her attention to the bow that surrounded her the oxonian half sighing unfolded his clasped hands 
one of which he reposed upon the shoulder of lionel come prithee be a little less in aught cried lionel and answer a man when he speaks to you where did you leave smithson who is that divinity can you tell me said the oxonian in a low and respectful tone of inquiry what divinity what divinity insensible tyrol tasteless adamantine look look yonder and ask me again if you can oh uh, what my cousin indiana your cousin have you any affinity with such a creature as that oh tyrold in glory in your acquaintance she's all i ever read of all i ever conceived she is beauty in its very essence she is elegance delicacy and sensibility personified all very true said lionel but how should you know anything of her besides her beauty how by looking at her can you view that countenance and ask me how are not those eyes all soul does not that mouth promise everything that is intelligent can those lips ever move but to diffuse sweetness and smiles i must not look at her again another glance may set me raving may cried lionel laughing why what have you been doing all this time however be a little less in the sublime and i'll introduce you to her is it possible shall i owe to you so celestial a happiness oh tyrold you bind me to you for life lionel hartley hallowing then brought him forward to indiana miss linmer he cried a fellow student of mine though somewhat more given to study than your poor cousin most humbly begs the honour of kissing your toe the uncommon lowness of the bow which the oxonian ignorant of what lionel would say was making led miss margland to imagine he was really going to perform that popish ceremony and hastily pulling lionel by the sleeve she angrily said mr lionel i desire to know by whose authority you present such actorman to a young lady under my care lionel almost in convulsions repeated this aloud and the young student who had just in a voice of the deepest interest and respect begun the high honour madam hearing an universal laugh from the company stopped short utterly disconcerted and after a few vainly stammering attempts bowed again and was silent edgar who in this distress read the ingenuousness of nature that counterpoised its romantic enthusiasm felt for the young man and taking lionel by the arm said will you not introduce me also to your friend mr melmont of brazen nose mr mandelbert of beech park cried lionel flourishing and bowing from one to the other edgar shook hands with the youth and hoped they should be better acquainted camilla gliding round whispered him how like my dear father was that to give relief to embarrassment instead of joining in the laugh which excites it edgar touched by a comparison to the person he most honoured gratefully looked his acknowledgment and all displeasure at her flight even from thompson's scene of conjugal felicity was erased from his mind the company grew impatient for the raffle though some of the subscribers were not arrived it was voted at the proposition of mrs arbury that the master of the shop should represent as their turns came round those who were absent 
while this was settling edgar in some confusion drew camilla to the door saying to avoid any perplexity about your throwing suppose you step into the haberdasher's shop that is over the way camilla who already had felt very awkward with respect to her withdrawn subscription gladly agreed to the proposal and begging him to explain the matter to miss margland tripped across the street while the rafflers were crowding to the point of action here she sat making some small purchases till the business was over the whole party then came forth into the street and all in a body poured into the haberdasher's shop smiling bowing and of one accord wishing her joy concluding this to be in derision of her desertion she rallied as well as she was able but mrs arbury who entered the last and held the locket in her hand said miss tyrold i heartily wish you equally brilliant success in the next and far more dangerous lottery in which i presume you will try your fate and presented her the prize camilla colouring laughing and unwillingly taking it said i suppose ma'am i hope it's yours and she looked about for edgar to assist her but he was gone to hasten the carriage everybody crowded round her to take a last sight of the beautiful locket eager to get rid of it she put it into the hands of indiana who regarded it with the partiality which her numerous admirers had courted individually in vain though the young oxonian by his dramatic emotions had engaged more of her attention than she had yet bestowed elsewhere eugenia too caught by his eccentricity was powerfully impelled to watch and admire him and not the less in the unenvying innocency of her heart for his evident predilection in favour of her cousin this youth was not however suffered to engross her the stranger by whom she had already been distinguished at the ball and public breakfast was one in the group and resumed a claim upon her notice too flattering in its manner to be repulsed and too new to her extreme inexperience to be obtrusive meanwhile camilla gathered from major serwood that the prize had really fallen to her lot edgar had excused her not staying to throw for herself but the general proxy the bookseller had been successful in her name in great perplexity how to account for this incident she apprehended edgar had made some mistake and determined through his means to restore the locket to the subscription the carriage of mrs arbury was first ready but pushing away from the throng of both offering assistance she went up to camilla and said fair object of the spleen of all around will you bring a little of your influence with good fortune to my domain and come and dine with me delighted at the proposal camilla looked at miss margland but miss margland not being included in the invitation frowned a refusal edgar now entered and announced the coach of sir hugh make use of it as you can said mrs arbury there is room for one more to go back than it brought so pray do the honours prettily clarendel take care of miss tyrrell to my coach sir sedley smiled and played with his watch-chain but did not move oh you laziest of all lazy wretches cried mrs arbury i shall reverse the epithet and be the alertest of the alert said major serwood if the commission may be devoted to myself positively not for the world there is nothing so pleasant as working the indolent except indeed making the restless keep quiet 
so come forth clarendel be civil and strike us all with astonishment my adored mrs albury cried he hoisting himself upon the shop counter and swinging a switch to and fro with a languid motion your maxims are all of the first superlative except this but nobody's civil now you know tis a fogramity quite out so you absolutely won't stir then oh pray pray answered he putting on his hat and folding his arms a little mercy tis so vastly insufferably hot calcutta must be in the frigid zone to this shop a very ice-house camilla who never imagined rudeness could make a feature of affection internally attributed this refusal to his pique that she had disregarded him at the public breakfast and would have made him some apology but knew not in what manner to word it the major again came forward but miss margland advancing also said miss camilla you won't think of dining out unknown to sir hugh i am sure cried mrs albury you will have the goodness to speak for me to sir hugh then turning to lionel mr tyrold she added you must go with us that you may conduct your sister safe home don't be affronted i shall invite you for your own sake another time come you abominable clarendel awake and give a little spring to our motions you are most incommodiously cruel answered he but i am bound to be your slave then calling to one of the apprentices in the shop my vastly good boy he cried do you want to see me irrecoverably subdued by this immensely inhuman heat the boy stared and said sir if not do get me a glass of water oh worse and worse said mrs albury your whims are insupportable i give you up major advance the major with alacrity offered his hand camilla hesitated she wished passionately to go yet felt she had no authority for such a measure the name though not the person of mrs albury was known both at cleves and at etherington as belonging to the owner of a capital house in the neighbourhood and though the invitation was without form camilla was too young to be withheld by ceremony her uncle she was sure could refuse her nothing and she thought as she was only a visitor at cleves miss margland had no right to control her the pleasure therefore of the scheme soon conquered every smaller difficulty and looking away from her party she suffered herself to be led to the coach miss margland as she passed said aloud remember i give no consent to this but eugenia on the other side whispered don't be uneasy i will explain to my uncle how it all happened mrs albury was following when indiana exclaimed cousin camilla what am i to do with your locket camilla had wholly forgotten it she called to edgar who slowly and with a seriousness very unusual obeyed her summons there has been some great mistake said she about the locket i suppose they neglected to scratch out my name from the subscription for major Serwood says it really came to me will you be so good as to return it to the bookseller the gravity of edgar immediately vanished are you so ready he said even when it is in your possession to part with so pretty a trinket you know it cannot be mine 
for here is my half-guinea mrs albury then got into the coach but camilla still farther recollecting herself again called to edgar and holding out the half-guinea said how shall i get this to the poor people they were to come he answered to cleves this afternoon will you then give it them for me no commission to mr mandelbert interrupted mrs albury for he must positively dine with us mandelbert bowed a pleased assent and camilla applied to eugenia but miss margland in deep wrath refused to let her move a step mrs albury then ordered the coach to drive home camilla begging a moment's delay desired edgar to approach nearer and said in a low voice i cannot bear to let those poor expectants toil so far for nothing i will sooner go back to cleves myself i shall not sleep all night if i disappoint them pray invent some excuse for me if you have set your heart upon this visit answered mandelbert with vivacity though in a whisper i will ride over myself to cleves and arrange all to your wishes but if not certainly there can need no invention to decline an invitation of which sir hugh has no knowledge camilla who at the beginning of this speech felt the highest glee sunk involuntarily at its conclusion and turning with a blank countenance to mrs arbury stammeringly said can you will you be so very good as not to take it ill if i don't go with you mrs arbury surprised very coldly answered certainly not i would be no restraint upon you i hate restraint myself she then ordered the footman to open the door and camilla too much abashed to offer any apology was handed out by edgar amiable camilla said he in conducting her back to miss margland this is a self-conquest that i alone perhaps expected from you cheered by such approbation she forgot her disappointment and regardless of miss margland and her ill-humour jumped into her uncle's coach and was the gayest of the party that returned to cleves edgar took the locket from indiana and promised to rectify the mistake and then lest mrs albury should be offended with them all rode to her house without any fresh invitation accompanied by lionel whose anger against camilla for suffering miss margland to gain a victory was his theme the whole ride end of chapter five read by lars rolander